0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn.
0: This week on Meat and 3, we dedicate our stories to elders, grandparents, and family members who came before us. Some people called on the phone. What time is your appointment? Mine's Two forty-five. Our friend, the dentist. He he was three thirty, and it was like a social event.
3: It's a small island. A lot of them I knew when I was a kid. So it was, you know, to really help them feel like they they weren't alone.
1: It's partly this communal nature of food, and so it can operate as a bridge, um, not just between neighbors and friends, but also between the living and the dead.
0: Listen to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. This is the 286th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind the scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef and advocate for the culinary profession, and I'll introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be soigne. By my guest definition, soigne, and that's S-O-I-G-N-E, means elegantly maintained, thoughtfully cared for. In other words, being well-groomed and polished. It's about our appearance and what it says to the world and how we present ourselves on the outside certainly reflects our insides. So let's dress to impress, as we only have one chance to make a good first impression. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Gavin Kaysen, an award-winning chef and founder of Swanee Hospitality Group in Minneapolis, who is known for his nationally recognized group of restaurants, as well as his leadership in the culinary profession. Gavin's restaurants include Spoon and Stable, a 2015 James Beard Award finalist for Best New Restaurant. Demi, an intimate 20 seat tasting menu experience, and Belcore Bakery at Cooks of Crocus Hill. Gavin is the co founder of Heart of the House Foundation. He's the president of the Mentor BKB Foundation Team USA. And he's a featured chef, a fe- a featured chef in a new book from Fiden, Today's Special, 20 leading chefs choose 100 emerging chefs. Gavin is also a proud recipient of the two James of Two James Beard Awards, Rising Star Chef of the Year in 2008 and Best Chef Midwest in 2018. Without further ado, Gavin, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: My pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on. I know we've we've done a brief interview following your your win of the James Beard Awards back in uh, 2018, um, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And, uh, but we we haven't, I haven't got, had the opportunity to dive into your whole background and, and everything else you're up to and we'll see how much we can cover in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's yeah. Yeah, always the case, right? Lots to yeah. talk about.
1: Yeah, a lot to talk about because even with my bio on you, I, I skipped out on, on many other things because you're just you you've done you've done a tremendous amount of uh, accomplishments over the years. So, but let's 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 dive in then and take me back to a bit to your childhood or what inspired mm-hmm. you to want to become a chef.
3: Yeah, I mean, it all kind of, for me, it started, started fairly early on. Um, you know, I started to bake a lot with my grandmother when I was seven. Um, and I wouldn't say that, like, that was the moment in which I decided, oh, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. What I did recognize was that that was a moment in which I recognized how um, food brought people to a table, specifically my family, number one. And then what I also recognize is that putting together ingredients of food and, and maybe not always that many ingredients, um, made people happy. And so, you know, I do remember that being like a really, um, like a really big, big sticking point in my, in my childhood. And so, you know, cooking and baking was something that I always did a lot of. And it was something that was, that was, that was a great, I guess in some ways kind of an escape for me as a kid, and. and something I always gravitated towards. And then when I was 15, I met the right guy at the right time in my life who kind of took me under his wing um, and showed me the ropes a little bit of what it meant to be in this industry. Um, And and that's really what sort of, you know, made me decide like, yeah, this is absolutely something that I want to do. But the idea of cooking and the idea of hospitality is what what ultimately drove me to it.
1: Yeah, so then where did you – gain restaurant experience following and eventually come to New York city and, and, and who were your mentors along the way?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of a big, that was a big jump to go to New York. I mean, I, I had gone from culinary school, um, in Vermont, um, which was New England Culinary Institute. And then I went from there to, uh, Domaine Chandon in Napa Valley, uh, as my first, as my first, uh, internship. And then I moved from Switzerland or sorry, from Napa over to Switzerland. And, and that was, that was my second internship. My dad was there for business a lot, like every six months. And so, um, I knew that if I took that job in Switzerland, at least I would have an opportunity to see my dad once every six months. So I'd have somebody come and visit me. (laughs) Um, and that was, that was important. Um, but I, you know, I really got—I kind of just took that job as, as a, as—I I mean, I was 21 years old. I just felt like I didn't have anything to lose, um, right? You know, and and it was it was a it was a crazy it was a crazy move. Um, and then I moved to San Diego, and San Diego is what is what got me to um, San Diego is what is sort of what got me to New York City, you know, and. That that got me to New York because uh, I had sent a letter to Danielle. So I had written Danielle an email, or actually, I think I actually wrote him a letter, Baloud, and that was in 2005. And I requested a stage, uh, and I requested a stage for two uh, seven days. So it was like one full week, and um, and so what I expected was. To do one full week with him, and that one week turned into turned into five um, <clears throat> five years, and then eight years basically of working for him. But you know that was 2005, so 2007, I ended up taking the job with chef and running Cafe Bouloud, um in New York City. So it's sort of funny how. You know, I look back on my career now and, and think about writing that letter to him and thinking like, oh yeah, maybe maybe he'll take me as a stage and then it turned into an actual job. And you know, yeah. if I, it's th- that letter actually when I left CAFE to move back home to Minneapolis, the, in the top right-hand corner of that letter, uh, Danielle wrote to his HR director to hold on to the letter because I might be a good future chef for him.
1: <laughs> oh so. wow, that's amazing.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, funny. so so, when did you or what what motivated you then to leave Danielle after so many years and, and move back to Minneapolis, which I believe is your hometown?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I grew up.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, did you did you when did you I guess have the idea that you wanted to have your own restaurant? Was that something? way, you know, at the beginning of your career or just sort of as you were uh, as a chef, you sort of got the idea of, hmm, it might be nice to have my own place?
3: I think every, I don't, I shouldn't say it this way, but I I think a majority of chefs probably go into this thinking themselves, maybe one day I want to open up my own business or one day Mm -hmm. I do want to. Um, And then often I think what happens is, is you end up seeing what that sacrifice means. And then you choose to realize that, yeah, maybe it is for me or maybe it's not. And I've had friends do, you know, both, you know, do stay in the industry and and work for somebody um, or go off and do what I've done, which is open my own restaurants. Um, I think from an entrepreneurial perspective, I've always had that spirit. So I've always wanted to have my own business. Uh, I've always I've always really been inspired by those those honestly those challenges of what that means. And you know, when I, when I worked for Danielle, I don't remember how far into the program we were together. Um, but I do remember speaking to him and saying at some point I am going to leave. Um, I don't know when that point is, but whenever, whenever that point comes to be, um, I certainly want to be able to have that discussion with you in detail. Uh, and that was, you know, mainly Danielle is a mentor of mine, has been, continues to be. And I just think that there is a lot of responsibility that needs to be put also on a mentee, you know, to, for you to be open and honest and transparent with the person who's teaching you to say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's where I want to go. This is my plan. What do you think? And if it's off and they don't think you're ready, then it's important to hear that. And so when we first started to talk about it, it was probably not until three or four years after that first conversation that I actually left. Um, it was not a quick decision. Um, it wasn't anything about, um, you know, leaving New York or anything like that, it was just I knew that I wanted to do my own my own thing and I had looked at and looked for restaurant spaces in New York City. I had looked in Minneapolis um, I was born in Los Angeles and I have a lot of Southern California connections, so I looked in Southern California
1: uh, oh, at I places didn't know that. okay yeah cool.
3: and so and so what ended up clicking the the, the best for me and what felt the most. Connecting to me was to move back to Minneapolis, where my family is. And so, so we decided to do that.
1: What what year was that?
3: Twenty. Uh, that was in twenty fourteen. Because I, um, yeah, twenty fourteen.
1: Okay, and then and then you set out. You started with Spoon and Stables, your first restaurant. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about the concept of that, and then how you've you've grown your restaurant group, um, which, uh, obviously I took my tip from you today. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. So, so spoon and stable was the first, uh, which we opened in 2014. It's an old, it's in a, a building that was erected in 1906. That was originally a horse stable. So hence the name spoon and stable and the spoon part of it comes from my, um, affection of collecting spoons um, and by way of collecting, sometimes that's just, they find their way in my pocket. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a really beautiful 6,500 square foot space. You know, the floor to ceilings are like 28 feet um, tall. I have a huge skylight in the middle of the dining room. Uh, that was originally always there and it actually runs the whole length of the space, but you only see it in the dining room and then you can also see it in the back kitchen. So when it's sunny here, I mean, you just see, Loads of sunlight spill into the restaurant, which just feels so great, especially after long winters that we endure here. Um, and, and the restaurant is really, you know, it's it's a collection of. I mean, I would I would call it sort of modernized American cuisine, and and while that's kind of a generic term, I think it's probably meant to be that way for a reason, which is, you know, a lot of the food that we do here has a focus on. Everything from heritage and grains, which is very, very prominent in our community, because of how uh, the Twin Cities became wealthy back in the day with all of the, the mills and the and 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 you know all of the flowers and everything, uh, and then you know we focus a lot on the beautiful proteins that are in the Midwest, the pork and the beef and the chicken, pheasant, duck, uh, all of the great farmers, and then of course in the summer and the spring, the bounty of vegetables that we're able to tap into because. You know the beauty of being here is that I can be in the I can be in Minneapolis. We're in a we're in a neighborhood in Minneapolis. It's called the North Loop, which was the representation of what the of the train station was called back in the day. Um, but 25 minutes from my doorstep is uh, is is a majority of the farmers we work we work with, which is really exciting. So yeah. we 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 then opened up Belcor um, restaurant, which was in Waisetta, which is about 15 miles from from Spoon and Stable. Um, and Belcour was a French bistro and bakery. Uh, we unfortunately had to close that restaurant during all of COVID. Uh, it was a really seasonal restaurant. It was on a lake. It's in a great community in the Twin Cities, but uh, it was just a little bit too much for me to run during the COVID time. So we, we had to trim a little bit of that off. And we were able to preserve the bakery, and we moved that across the street from Spoon and Stable. It's in a, a kitchen store called Cooks of Crocus Hill. So we're kind of a store within a store. Uh, but we have a whole kitchen in there. where All of our bakers are in there. I can stand at the passat spoon and look across the street through my windows, and I can see them rolling croissants for the next day. Uh, so that's awesome. And then behind us is our third restaurant called Demi, uh, and Demi is a 20 seat restaurant, which you explained, and we do tasting menus. Um, it's it's a really small, it's a really small restaurant, very very focused. Um, we don't tell you how many courses you're gonna get. We don't tell you the kind of food we're necessarily gonna cook, but we do that all with sort of, you know, fun mystery. You know, it's not it's not meant to be kitschy. So and then we just announced a new restaurant that we're opening, which will be three blocks from Spoon. Uh we're partnering with the Four Seasons. Uh they're opening up a hotel here in Minneapolis, and we're gonna open up a restaurant, a bar, and a cafe there.
1: Oh wow, amazing. Yeah. Um so and I've I tell I've told you this every time I see you about how I'm coming I'm gonna visit you. <laughs> I still need to get to Minneapolis and I, I, I it is it is I, I will I will come one day and, and visit and, and see all your places which all sound so wonderful. So over this past year though, I mean I know it's been so challenging and um and you talked a bit about the change with Belcor, but how I mean how I guess you' like with the four seasons and like your plans, how how, how much changed this year with what you, I guess you were envisioning and, and how you, your, your restaurant group has ad, um, uh, adapted to the times and your team. I mean tell me a little about how, how it's been for you because I know I know it's been quite a year.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 been it's been a year. <laughs> um, that's for sure. <laughs> to, yeah, it's
1: hard to believe too. <laughs>
3: yeah, it is. But you know, I, I I've I've said this I've said this to our team, um, and and I've said this to other people. But I I genuinely believe that we are a better company today than we were twelve months ago. Um, I think that that what's happened in the last year has challenged us in ways that we never anticipated. Um, It allowed us to fail over and over again publicly. Um, It allowed us to try things and watch them fail. It allowed us to try things and watch them succeed. It made us vulnerable in ways that we had never really experienced before as a group. And it brought our group stronger and closer together. I created a document that I use daily called my Dream Weaving Document of 2021. And the only thing that's allowed to be in the document is, is... it has to live by the three, the three things that, that I put in it up top, which is one, you won't fail. Two, you'll help others along the way. And three, this is the year in which you will build the foundation for the future. So whatever we dream up below those three points can stay in the document. And the document lives a lot and it changes a lot. Um, but I, I just think that for, for me personally, taking a step back, and really digesting what the last year was all about, you know, in, in the most simplest of terms for me, uh, you know, I, I was very quick to give up my time uh, to do events or to do dinners or whatever it was, you know, I was, I was, e- it was easy for me to give that time away. And the one thing that COVID gave, gave us all back is time, whether we wanted it or not and whether it was too much or not, or whether we actually had to think about things in a confined environment or not. But they gave it gave us time. And I kind of took my my time to, to walk away from that and recognize that the time is really valuable for me to spend where I am and with my team and try to be as present as I can with them. And if we're going to continue to grow and build more restaurants, we need to really understand why we're doing it. And if it's not valuable, then it's just not worth it. And that's okay. Um, so... You know, it's yes, it's been a really tough year, uh, but it's been a really incredible year to learn about what it is that we really want to do moving forward and, and how important it is to just be flexible through things. You know, we created this new, this new brand called GK at Home, which is like this whole virtual cooking demo program that, I mean, went from like our first demo we did had a hundred and something people on it. And then our third one had basically a thousand people on it. Uh, and it just continues to grow. It's remarkable.
1: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, um, I, that's a partnership with William Sonoma and, and Alclad, I believe. Yeah. Um, yep. That's right. And yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, I mean, everything you said is, is, is really great and you're right. It did give us time and I feel you've used your time very wisely, um, which not surprised, uh, at all, but, um, Let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 285 I had on Liz Newmark. She's the Mm -hmm. founder and chair of Great Performances, New York City's premier catering and events company. So her question is, what was your inspiration for embarking on the family community health aspect? We're all thinking about Minneapolis differently since the summer with the murder of George Floyd. Wondering how that affected your work and how you think about diversity and equity differently in the industry with it being at the ground zero to the rebirth of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, she also noted she spent a lot of time on your website, and it was absolutely beautiful with your patronage to local farms and supporting uh, support of the community. Um, and I believe she's, you know, referring to you as uh, the as being the the co-founder of um, Heart of the House Foundation that you started.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um,
3: yeah, so that was a. Yeah, so thank you. So that was yeah, the heart of the house was a foundation we created uh, literally 5 days after COVID shut all the restaurants down and the intention of that foundation was to to bridge a gap. <laughs> yeah, it was quick. <laughs> I um, thought you
1: were going to say like 5 months, like 5 days. No, like, wow.
3: It was 5 days. So a friend of mine who I sit on the board with with mentor Sean who's who's an attorney um, I called him up because I had noticed that Danny Meyer was doing something with his gift cards. And he was I can't remember what it was, but I think it was like every gift card sale would then go to this 501c3 nonprofit. And I saw very quickly how a lot of restaurants around the country were creating these GoFundMe pages. And I, I think that that's great and I think it's honorable, but it was not me. And it, it didn't feel... Um, it didn't feel like that was something that we would want to do long term. And I've always had the dream to create some sort of nonprofit within our group that would benefit the team. So what better time than to do it then? So five days after COVID hit, I called Sean and I said, hey, Danny Meyer created this 501c3. Do you know how to do that for me? He says, yeah, I did it for him. I said, great, let's do it. And it was done. And so what it basically does is we've been taking, you know, my wife and I seated the seated the the donations with ten thousand dollars right out of the gates, and the intention was really to to get people to donate um, publicly, non publicly, corporately, privately, however they wanted to, and we take applications through from our teams, past and present and current, and we help we help them bridge that gap, especially during the times in which we were all forced to be closed. I don't sit on the board. We have a board of directors who run that, and they, they, they sift through the applications and the whole process. Um, and I, you know, we see that that organization and that foundation will live on to be more, and we're still kind of dreaming up what that looks like. But you know, everything that's happened in the last year in Minneapolis and you know, happened in the last three days in Minneapolis mm-hmm. with, with yeah. another uh, young man being shot... Uh, you know, it's, it's a very triggering experience to be through, to be in all of it again, and we're certainly at the ground zero of it, but if we're at the ground zero of what could effectively be some significant and powerful change, um, it's a pretty powerful place to be right now uh, and to, to see the effect that it has on the culture and the effect that it has on the community. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's, you know, the word unity and, and community are together, right? So there's a lot of that right now. And you can see it, you can feel it, you can hear it, um, you know, and it's a, it's a really powerful thing to, to experience and to be a part of. And so, you know, certainly I think that, that one of the ways that we talked, we talked about it with the team yesterday, you know, it's like we just, let's just talk about it right what what is what is it that's going on and and how do we how do we help sort of get through what all of that looks like and and certainly i think that it's it's something that that is is now in front of us and in front of our generation to make that change but we 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 have the energy to do it and we also need the the generation before us that has a lot of knowledge to help to help get through that change as well
1: yeah i love that i never um I never thought about community with unity in that way. The word I'm like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's true. And, yeah. uh, you, you've also, I know, worked closely with, um, Allison Arth of Salton row, who past guest on my show, who I think is amazing.
3: Yeah. She's great. So,
1: yeah. Um, I, I, I love that. So, yeah. So she and
3: I, she and I co-founded that foundation together. <clears throat> and so she works with us. And she works with our team. She lives here in Minneapolis as well, so we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time together, which is awesome. Yeah,
1: she made the move. I remember. I, I don't know. I saw her. Well, I, she was she was part of a host conference I did um, last January. Uh, so in twenty twenty. So yeah. that was the last time I saw her. Um, I miss you guys.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: So uh, we'll have to get to, soon, soon. We'll be we'll soon we'll we'll see each other in person, hopefully, you know. I hope so. Uh, reunited. Hope uh so. so let's talk a little bit about Fiden's new book, which I have here, and I have to say you know, I'd seen pictures, but when it came in the in the mail, I was like, wow, this is like a book. This is like a really yeah. big, thick book. Um, it's entitled Today's Special, 20 Leading Chefs Choose 100 Emerging Chefs. And you're in the book as Danielle Ballou, um, as he, uh, selected you as an emerging chef. Um, and uh, so, yeah, tell me about your participation in this book and the recipes that you chose to, to be a part of it.
3: Yeah, it was cool. So yeah, Danielle picked myself. I know Melissa Rodriguez, who's a part of it as well, who had some good, good press this week coming out with her purchase of Del Posto. Oh which is yeah, exciting,
1: really cool um, news.
3: Yeah, yeah. Melissa and I, she worked at Danielle when I was at Cafe Belude so our paths crossed um, through oh, all nice. of that, which was really exciting. Um, but yeah, it's listen. I mean, it's going to be so cool to see to see what she does with that. And and this this book is 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 really exciting for us because. You know, Danielle picks us as sort of the next emerging chefs. James Kent is a part of it in our group and um, Dave Barron's a part of it in our group and then um, uh, the chef up in Toronto, uh, Patrick Chris is a part of it as well. And so you know Danielle picks us and, and then we get to come up and talk about recipes and talk about what we've created and, and why and how his mentorship um, for me has meant so much. I mean, you know, I still I still talk to Danielle a lot, of course, and, and we still are very, very close. And, you know, it's it's just it's it's amazing to be able to, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. So in 2005, I think I wrote or I read Letters to a Young Chef, the very first edition of the one that he wrote. And I remember reading it and thinking to myself, like, I have to work for him. He's so great. I really love what he's writing and it's really exciting. And so I, of course, then went to go work for him. And maybe two years later, or two years ago, rather, he wrote me an email and said, I'm rewriting Letters to a Young Chef as a second edition, and I would really like for you to write a chapter in this book for us about discipline. And I said, of course. But it was just such a, what a full circle moment to have have read the book and thought, I have to work for this person. And now then to be able to write uh, a chapter. And then this is sort of another chapter in our friendship and and his mentorship is is him putting me in this book and allowing me to to use my voice and show off our restaurant and show off this town and what it is we do here so it's such a blessing to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, it's it's terrific and and I I feel very honored too that I was able to interview interview him on this show. Um I don't know, maybe it was like 2 years ago and he was in the he was planning his new restaurant the one that's going over by uh grand central and they just announced i don't know a week or two ago it's like it's getting ready to open (laughs) it's soon and um it's um i'm very excited about that i don't know how he does everything he does he just seems to (laughs) accomplish a lot in a day and his whole career i mean it's um so having him as a mentor is um, that's that's certainly very special I would imagine um, and what about the recipes you have in the book uh, wh- how did how did they get um, how did you choose those or did did, did Danielle yeah. work with yeah
3: yeah so the like the, the pot roast recipe that was one of my grandmother's recipes Dorothy's pot roast that was her name Dorothy um, and mm-hmm. so that's sort of a tribute to her and what she taught me for, for that recipe and what makes that Recipe unique is actually she didn't use potatoes. She would always use rutabaga, which is not used in a lot of places, but she loved rutabaga, yeah. and, it, and it would give it a little bit of sweetness, and it would make the sauce a little thick, but not too cloudy like potato starch normally does. And then the spaghetti nero is a, is a little is a little tip to the Cafe Blued times. I, I created that dish when I was at Cafe Blued, um, and so I took a version of that and put it on our menu here at Spoon, And so that's sort of a little tribute to that. And the honey and cream cake uh, is a dish that Diane Mua, our pastry chef, created six years ago, maybe more, six and a half years ago when we opened Spoon. And it's just been one of those menu items that have stayed on the menu forever because if we were to take it off, people would be very upset. (laughs) Very upset. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah, I know those dishes. (laughs) I've already heard about those dishes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh well, cool. I think rutabaga is uh, underappreciated. Um, totally. Vegetable. <laughs> Completely. So, um, oh, cool. So, before we take a break, uh, let's just uh, what one more question. What what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a chef, a restaurateur, especially like now and where we've you know with the, with with the pandemic and moving forward with. Um, their careers, of what they want to
3: inspire to do. I mean, I think, you know, as always, you know, it, it takes a lot of patience, but now seems like such an incredible time to be a part of it because you can innovate in a way that's never really been accepted before in our, in our profession. Uh, and I think that that's really exciting. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for change. I think there's a lot of opportunity for um, diversification of our business and of our profession where it looks to, to grow. And I think that as a result, you know, you're going to see a lot of new things sort of pop up and become become a different version of itself in front of us. And I think that that in and itself is so <clears throat> is so important. And so, you know, I, I, I think more than anything, I would tell anybody that, that's aspiring to be a chef or to be a restaurateur or whatever it is, do, you know, Danielle always taught me to be curious um, and, and be genuinely curious about things. And I think that that still stands the test of time.
1: Yeah. That's good advice. Okay, so let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speedrun game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
2: Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant based consumers in your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to slash hrn. That's slash hrn. Made from plants. Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st/hrn. That's ju.st/hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn.
1: Did you know that 93% of guests browse online menus before deciding where to go well it's true your cocktail menu is the most important marketing sales and merchandising tool that you have it influences drink choice and enhances your guests experience plus a well-designed menu can also help your bar be more profitable menus today are not just pieces of paper they should also be thoughtful and easy to find online Diageo Bar Academy has resources to help you not only design a cocktail menu for increased sales, but also learn how to share digital menus that reach more people before they even step inside your door. Visit diageobaracademy.com for free downloadable tools, e-learning courses, and other resources for you and your bar staff. Diageo Bar Academy provides engaging learning opportunities through both physical and digital channels, with ongoing support at every stage. Again, visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Stay informed, get inspired, and equip yourself and your team with the tools for success. Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Gavin Kaysen. He's an award-winning chef and the founder of Soigne Hospitality Group, which includes Spoon and Stable, Demi, and Bellacor Bakery at Cooks of Crocus in Minneapolis. And uh, he's also a featured chef in a new book from Fiden, Today's Special, 20 Leading Chefs Choose 100 Emerging Chefs. So Gavin, it is time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. You ready?
3: I'm ready. (laughs) I think so.
1: Yeah, I think you are. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, soft cocktail, or champagne?
3: What's a soft cocktail?
1: It's my way of now saying, um,
3: like zero an NA proof,
1: cocktail? non-alcoholic, yeah. um, mocktail, um, is another word for it, <laughs> but I'm I'll going to soft I'll t- these I'll, days. I'll, I'll
3: take a soft cocktail.
1: Okay. There you go. Um, tasting menu or a la carte?
3: Hmm. Good question. Um, a la carte.
1: Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter?
3: Uh, communal table.
1: Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: All-inclusive.
1: Mentoring others or being mentored?
3: Mm, both. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, men- men- mentoring others.
1: Yeah, well, it's, you know we talked in the, so far in the show about you, your mentors, but I know you mentor a lot of people.
3: So. I do, I do. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, a few more. Is a very easy one: spoon or fork? Spoon. Yeah, I figured that's what you were gonna go with. What if but I said
3: spork? Spork.
1: I would. I would be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> A cheese plate or dessert?
3: Mm, dessert.
1: Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Minneapolis?
3: <laughs> um, I mean, I have to say Minneapolis, I'm here.
1: Yeah, I was thinking, I don't really know the boroughs of Minneapolis. But um, yeah, you have to, you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> exactly
1: awesome you're fast that's and that's the game i love it so for industry news uh i have an article that was in the new york times entitled as diners return restaurants face a new hurdle finding workers owners across the country report a shortage of in help as rebounding business forces them to compete for a shrunken pool of applicants and this was by brett anderson I figure you're probably familiar with this and who better talk to you about this, but it's, I mean, it's basically talking about how there's a staffing shortage, uh, which owners and chefs at full service restaurants um, are staying is is very low. It's, I think there's, because there's a lot more job job openings coming up all at the same time. And um, I think, I mean, from what I understand, there's always been a bit of a, a challenge with uh, hiring in in the kitchen, but it feels uh, it seems now is uh, even more so. So what's what's yeah. happening with you? Are you having difficulty with this as well?
3: Yeah, I mean it's you know Brett is from Brett's from Minnesota. His dad his dad oh. Waylon Anderson was a, was our governor when he was a kid.
0: Oh, who knew? Yeah,
3: yeah. His dad has a famous his dad is very famous for being on the cover of Time magazine holding a northern pike fish. But um, yeah, no, listen, staffing is tough. I mean, we, we face it, you know, right now we're, thankfully we're okay in, in what we, in the team that we have Um, numbers wise, we're doing okay, but we're always looking for people and it is harder to find people now than I've ever seen it before in my life. Um, Every single restaurant, as you said, is hiring (laughs) every single position. And so I don't really know where, where everybody is. I don't know if they've left the industry in whole. I don't know if they're not ready to come back to it. I'm not really sure exactly what it looks like, um, but it's been, it's been a challenge. There's, there's no doubt about that. I think we were, you know, we opened up in the summer for a little bit, cause we were allowed to open up at a 50% occupancy. So we did that and then we were all shut down again. And then when we reopened the second time, we lost a few people. Uh, On that second shutdown, which wasn't a huge surprise just because I think at that point you're like, are they going to, you know, we're going to close again and again and again. What am I doing? Um, But now that we've been able to open up the second time, it feels better. I would say 95% of our team has been vaccinated. um, So that feels really good as well. Um, We were able to set up a pharmacy actually inside of the restaurant and do all the restaurant, do the whole company and do some businesses around our, our our street as well. We just sort of set up shop and they all came in and and did their, did their thing and then left. So, you know, we're just trying to find ways to, to help each other get in front of it that way right now. But it's been hard to find people. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, you see every restaurant in the country looking for people right now. If I'm, if I'm a young cook, it's just like, take a seat back and see how you can negotiate.
1: Yeah. Well, that's actually, there was a quote in the article from Katie, Katie Button down in Asheville. And that's exactly what (laughs) she said. She said, um, everybody in the world is hiring at the same time. And this probably has never happened. This hasn't ever happened before. So um, and I think I think it is, you know, people, people, I think, during this period have have maybe decided to leave the industry or just take time off or move home or just keep collecting their unemployment checks or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I, I was trying to think like, what's the solution, <laughs> which I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, but yeah, I but, don't
3: know. I mean, I think it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take time to get people to come back and work. And I think, you know, naturally, I mean, at least where I am here, we're allowed 75% occupancy inside, but you still have to be socially distanced by six feet. So <clears throat> as a result, I can only fit about 40%. Of occupancy inside a spoon and stable, I can fit fifty percent at demi, um, and so that requires a a tighter group and a tighter staff. Um, once we are allowed to be at a hundred percent occupancy or have a bigger patio or whatever might, that might be, uh, we will certainly see a a um, we will certainly need more people, <laughs> which is which is going
1: to be big. Yeah. Well, stay tuned to see that, and uh, people know restaurants are hiring. <laughs> if yep. you need a job yep. if you need a job. Um, the other, the other article I had was just uh, big news. I figured it was worth mentioning here. Is uh, in Food and Wine, on their F and W Pro website. The title is Squarespace has acquired Talk for more mm-hmm. than four hundred million. Alinea Group's Nick Kakonis will remain CEO of the newly acquired reservation platform. And this is by Oset Babur. And Nick has also been on this show before. And big congratulations to him. I mean, this is this is huge. And talk uh reservation platform has, I think, during during this past year, he was able to so sort of transition it a bit and really, I think, from what I saw, grow the grow the business he had a talk 2.0 um kind of w- integrating the reservation system with takeout and delivery and um it's it's yeah it's like a huge uh a huge acquisition so mm-hmm. acquisition i should say so you are you do you use um talk at all gavin
3: yeah we do yep yeah nick's a really good friend um, and I'm super happy for for he and all of his his team that, that were mm-hmm. able to get that done. It's a massive, it's a massive deal. And I know he takes a lot of pride in into what he has created and what they have created there. I know he I know he's he's always he's always tried to to better um, the experience for the restaurant and for the guests. And so when we opened, in fact when we opened Spoon and Stable, we originally started with a different platform. We had Open Table. When we first started, and then we moved, we moved to talk. I think about a year after we opened. Um, and the only reason we didn't start with Talk was because at the time, this is seven years ago, at the time, you could only, you could only use that platform for either prepaid reservations or deposits. And I was nervous to do that and, and, and in, in the market here. And what, you know, Nick is, I'll give Nick a, a lot of credit for a lot of things, but one of the things that he was always amazing at was listening to my feedback and to our feedback here from our team. And so we would reach out to them and say, listen, you know, we don't really feel comfortable doing the deposit thing in, in a restaurant that's a la carte. And you, we want people to be able to feel flexible to walk in and out. And, you know, shortly thereafter, the, the reservation system changed. And so people could make a free reservation and it didn't have to be a deposit. Um, but we, we use the prepaid version of Talk at Demi. And it's a, I mean, it's a gift. You know, I, I, I will tell you the first year of reservations we had. Um, at Demi, we had approximately, we do 40 people a night at that restaurant, 200 people a week, okay? Uh, approximately 800 people a month. And out of all of the people in which we served in an entire month, I, I believe that entire year, we had eight no-shows. That's it.
1: Wow. And that's
3: because of the prepay, you know? And, and yeah. it's a big difference and it's a huge, it makes a huge difference for a restaurant and it makes a huge difference for our top line and our bottom line and how we pay our team and how we stay equitable and how we pay a living wage to people and all of that has a trickle down effect and the and reservation system is not about comfort and convenience. It's got to be about quality as well and talk delivered on all three fronts in my opinion and it's one of the reasons why I'm adamantly supportive of what it is that they've created and why I will, and I'll, why I'll, will always use them in my restaurants moving forward.
1: Oh, wow that's really wonderful yeah i i i mean they've they he they they have much more of a presence now with new york city uh restaurants and for the for for the you know the reasons he's he's changed and added new services Because at the beginning it was i think i mean every time i used it as a customer it was at a, a you know a top rated restaurant with a tasting menu you know kind of like mm-hmm. very very uh special experiences and it's um so he's uh i I give him a lot of credit for what he's created and his ability to adapt and his whole team and huge congratulations to you absolutely yeah um so uh just a reminder everyone that uh i have all in the industry swag available on my website allintheindustry.com backslash backslash merch and um i'm donating 100 of the proceeds of my hat sales to the independent restaurant coalition through may 31st Uh, so uh go check it out and uh help help support a great cause and uh get some cool cool hats (laughs) hats many hats i like my hats they're sandwich hats um that's the the term for the style so go check it out and uh much appreciated um so time for my solo dining experience so this week it's at Nan chang chow long bao and here's the rundown The location, 3916 Prince Street, number 104 in Flushing, Queens, on the second floor of One Fulton Square, which is an outdoor mall. The concept, it's a Shanghainese restaurant known for its soup dumplings. The owners are from Shanghai, China, and opened in Flushing in 2006. So why would I go? Well, I was out at City Field for my second vaccine shot, and it's one train stop away, and so uh, it was a perfect excuse to go. And actually, I, I did, I didn't, I went here the second time. I did go to another place the first time. I, I made it, made it my outing on for both of my shots, which I was very grateful to get. So my experience. So after my appointment, I walked over for an early dinner. It was like a ten-minute walk and um i found they had these cute little booths or like nooks upstairs that were you know, i had my own little space it seats about 4 people it had a, a sliding glass door it was let in all the open air and it was it was it was nice it was a nice day out um so i ordered i ate and i actually got some more food to go and um service was really efficient and um I had a great meal. So what did I get? I got their Lucky Six Dumplings, which had um, one signature, scallop, Chinese, squash, chicken, crab meat and pork, and black truffle. So one of each of those, and they're all very different, different colors, bright and pretty, matching, matching the food. And um, I also got pan-fried pork dumplings and scallion pancake with sliced beef, and, it had, and they also brought complimentary tea. So my take, it was really, everything was delicious. The soup dumplings were great. I think my favorites were the crab meat and pork and the black truffle, which was unexpected. I don't know if I'd had a black truffle soup dumpling before. Um, And and the other dumplings and the pancakes uh, were very tasty. So the ambiance, as I said, was this like cute little nook with the sliding doors upstairs um, on the second floor. And um, inside they, they were also open. Um, it was a more of a bustling casual type dining room, I would say. I'd say this is perfect for Chinese food and dumpling cravings. Interesting tidbit, the restaurant has been a Michelin-recommended Shanghainese restaurant in New York since 2007. Uh, they've been featured on many websites, including Serious Eats, New York Magazine, and Eater as the city's best soup, soup dumplings. And personal fun fact, um, while there, I guess you say, while in flushing, I got more food to go um, because uh, why not? I got some pork buns and some shumai um, that I took, with me and I also uh, across the street there's a place called White Bear that's known for their wontons with hot sauce so I picked that up too on the way home so I had lots of leftovers for more meals Uh, the cost of my this dinner with my leftovers there was $38 that's not including tax and gratuity would I go back yes and their website is com, and it's very long so I'm not gonna spell it but if you google it you can find it (laughs) Uh, so there we go. Um, Gavin, have you ever been out to Flushing? I'm just curious. I have and, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Cool. Um, yeah, I've never yeah, been there,
3: but I've been out to Flushing for sure.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's so. It's so. It's actually so easy to get there. You just take the take the seven trains. Seven trains straight out. I just. Um, I feel like I. I don't get out there enough, um, mm-hmm. so I'm glad I, I did. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Diana Tandia. She is a chef and owner of Berber Street Food, which is an African cafe in New York City's West Village featuring African street food. So Gavin, can you please ask a question for Diana? Diana.
3: Yeah, so my question to her, there was an article that came out here that was written by uh, a gentleman named Yia Vang, and he worked for us here at Spoon and Stable, and he's opening up a restaurant. He's Hmong, and he's opening a restaurant here, uh, and he wrote he wrote a really beautiful article in our newspaper talking about how when when a guest uh, comes to him, uh, a guest came to him and asked him to create uh, uh, one of the Hmong sausages. but but to make it vegan, and of course there was no disrespect in that in that question. They were just asking for their for their event, but it led him down this path of explaining why the food that they cook in their culture is so important and so and so and has such an incredible story behind it. I found the article both fascinating and intriguing. And what I what I really was inspired when I was listening to the article and or reading the article and listening to him speak, uh, and I've known him for a while, was that. Food does have a story behind it. So what it sounds to me that she's running is I would love to learn um, how she would respond to that if she was able to cook her food exactly how she wanted to uh, and not have to alter anything and to be able to story tell through her cuisine, if that would alter the way that she cooks.
1: Wow. I'm going to ask her. I can't wait yeah. to hear how she answers, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, well, that's great. Thank you, and and great story behind your question. <laughs> so, uh, well, cool. Well, thank you so much. I wish we could just go on and talk more and more. And but this has been such a treat to get to to catch up with you and hear what you've been up to. And I've always been so impressed with everything you've done and i know i will continue to be (laughs) because you're just you're just that guy so thank you so much gavin so my guest today has been gavin Kaysen. he's the award-winning chef and founder of Soigne hospitality group which includes spoon and stable demi and bellicor bakery at cooks of crocus hill in minneapolis he's also featured in a new book from Fiden called Today's Special, 20 Leading Chefs, Choose 100 Emerging Chefs and it's now available. You can find Gavin, his website is com, and you can also find him on social media at Gavin Kaysen and the book is at Fiden Snaps and hashtag today's special. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks, as always, to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. Thanks to Gavin, as well as Heather, Jasmine, and Alex for helping me set this up. I'm Sherry Bayer. We are on our spring break now here at Heritage Radio. So my next show will be on Wednesday, May 5th. Till then, stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the